Welcome to Shake and Bake Cast. Today's guest is Catherine Scheil, professor of English at the University of Minnesota. Her book, Imagining Shakespeare's Wife, The Afterlife of Anne Hathaway, will be coming out this summer, June, we expect. Her research interests relate to the history of Shakespeare's works, uh, and uh, Professor Scheil's first book looked at adaptations of Shakespeare's comedies in the 18th century. In 2012, she completed a book on women's reading groups of Shakespeare in America, where she traced over 500 clubs, mostly comprised of women, from 1875 to 1950, who met to read, research, and discuss Shakespeare's works in almost every corner of the country. And it's with great pleasure that uh, I get an opportunity to talk to you, Dr. Child. Great. Thanks, Larry. Uh, what do we actually know about Anne Hathaway and her marriage to Shakespeare? Well, we know quite a bit. First, I would say that the Shakespeare and Hathaway families had longstanding connections, both before and after the marriage of William and Anne. So it wasn't... Um, a meeting of two pe two strangers or two people who didn't know each other. The families had long-standing relationships, um, and even after the death of both William and Anne, the families were still connected. So Shakespeare's son-in-law John Hall was the executor of Shakespeare's will and also the executor of Anne Hathaway's brother's will. So How they interesting. Yeah. I, had, I had no idea. <laughs> yep. So even after the marriage, you know, sometimes you read things about, uh, you know, various biographers and, and scholars trying to make this into the story of an unhappily married couple. But the fact that the families stayed together in close context suggests otherwise. Um, so we know that. We also know from Anne's gravestone that she was older than William was when they got married. So roughly eight years older than he was. Um, that's not actually the odd thing about the marriage. Um, it's, it's more unusual to have a younger man married to an older woman. So it's not so much the age as it is the um, young man, older woman is, is a little bit odd. Mm -hmm. so, of course, people have tried to make something out of that. You know, was she an older aggressive woman past her sell by date um, you know, was she trying to entrap him into marrying? Because, of course, they married in the fall of 1582, and their daughter Susanna was born in May of 1583. So mm -hmm. not a full nine months gestation going on there. <laughs> so we do know that she was pregnant when they got married. Um, the circumstances behind that are completely unknown, but as you might guess, all sorts of people have imagined um, what that physical relationship was like. Um, we also know from her epitaph that's uh, on her grave in Holy Trinity Church in Stratford, there's a beautiful poem in Latin, probably written by their daughter Susanna, that describes Anne as a good mother and a pious woman. So she died in 1623, you know, the same year that the first folio was printed, but of course that's seven years after Shakespeare's death. But even so, the epitaph suggests that the idea of Anne, you know, by her family members was very positive. I guess it does. Absolutely. 
Can you give us a little teaser about this book, uh, Shakespeare's Wife, The Afterlife of Anne Hathaway? Sure. So the opening chapter sets out what we know about Anne. So some of the things that I've, I've just talked about, basically the, the factual information that still survives about her and about her family. And then the subsequent chapters of the book take that information and look at how it's been configured and combined to produce a particular Anne. So some facts have been brought forward and others have been suppressed. Um, and also some of the things we know about her only came to light much later than the 17th century. So Shakespeare's will, for example, where Anne is given the famous second best bed, that didn't even come to public light until the mid 18th century. Oh, really? Right. So earlier, you know, 17th century and early 18th century ideas about Anne would not have included the second best bed piece from the will. Mm -hmm. So anyway, the book moves um, historically uh, from the 17th century to the present and looks at how Anne has been imagined and why. So if you have a certain set of facts, then how do you use those facts to construct this figure who of course, had an intimate relationship with Shakespeare, and who doesn't want to know what that was like? Yes, of course. <laughs> um, also, I mean, I think the other piece that the book looks at is, is that Anne offers a unique mode of access to Shakespeare. So she's the wife. So mm -hmm. through Anne, Shakespeare, of course, is the husband and the father of three children. And it's a side of Shakespeare that um, you rarely see, you know, through the plays and through other biographical information. So it's also a way to make Shakespeare more human, you know, not so much as a god or as a genius, but as a as a regular person, as a family member. So that's what the book traces is the the different ways that Anne has been constructed and for what ends. Could could you give us um, a couple of, of contrasts? Are these like cultural lenses through which she's seen? Is that what happens or? Well, it's more um, the way you construct Anne determines the Shakespeare that's produced. So, for example, mm -hmm. if Anne is a supportive wife that Shakespeare has been um, going back to Stratford to see regularly. Um, and, of course, Shakespeare returns to Stratford at the end of his life. And also New Place, the house that he purchased in Stratford in 1597, um, was such a palatial um place to live that a number of scholars have, have suggested that Shakespeare was the first literary commuter, you know, that he commuted back and forth from London to Stratford. Wouldn't that, that have been pretty rugged in his day or sure. is it, is it reasonable? And pretty, pretty time consuming. But on the other hand, Shakespeare never owned a property in London where he lived. Whereas New Place had 10 fireplaces and probably Ooh. 20 rooms. So it, it makes a little more sense that he would have spent more time there. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. anyway, um, how you construct Anne in that space determines the type of Shakespeare um, that emerges from that picture. So was he, you know, the loyal husband who was writing plays, traveling back and forth to the London theaters, um, always supporting his family, or was it a more contentious relationship you know did he leave Anne and the children and the rest of his family behind in Stratford 
go to London, have a great romantic relationship like he does in the film Shakespeare in Love. And then the problem with that is how do you explain his return to Stratford at the end of his, his life? Quite so, true. Um, that, that piece hasn't quite been ironed out, but, um, biographers and novelists and playwrights are kind of on both ends of the spectrum in terms of making Anne into a supportive wife or making Anne into some, something that's held Shakespeare back from his career and, you know, something from which he has to escape in order to write these great plays. Um, I wanted to definitely get into the subject of, uh, one of your other books too, she hath been reading Women in Shakespeare Clubs in America. I know we still have uh, book clubs. I haven't even encountered myself a contemporary Shakespeare book club. Can you uh, tell us uh, something about uh, that uh, rich topic of interest? Sure. Well, I started researching the project with a group called the Shakespeare Ladies Club, and that was a group of women in London in the 1730s, who lobbied for more performances of Shakespeare's plays, and they also raised money for the statue of Shakespeare that's now in Westminster Abbey. And in the course of working on that project, another Shakespeare scholar happened to mention to me that her mother was in a Shakespeare club, and I had no idea that they still existed. I thought this was a project from the 1730s, and you know, that was the end of it. And so I started digging around and it was just astonishing that I found over 500 of these clubs um, in all corners of the country. So of course there were lots of clubs in New York and Philadelphia, for example, but even more in a lot of the isolated rural parts of the country, like the mining towns out West and uh, through Kansas and through that whole part of westward expansion, um, there are a lot of accounts of people who would establish their city, and then the next step would be to set up the Shakespeare Club. <laughs> so it was a form, uh, um, it was a wonder, form of civilizing the country. You know, so you would you would get your homestead, and then you would get your collected works of Shakespeare out, and get people together and start reading. So, um, interesting. Yeah, and it was just I mean these women it, they were mostly women. So there were some that were co-ed, but most of the clubs were women, and they were all um, self-motivated. So not part of an educational institution or a school or a university. It was all of their own initiative. Um, And the sorts of things that they did were really um, beyond many college classes. So they would, a lot of the clubs would read through the whole canon of Shakespeare's plays, and when they got to the end, they would start over again at the beginning. Um, They would have quizzes and tests. They would do research papers. They would do presentations. So it was very much like a college class, but very demanding. Really? Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And then the other other piece that they've done that's left a real lasting legacy is a lot of these Shakespeare clubs were responsible for starting the first public libraries in their town. So they would start the library from their own collection of Shakespeare books and then uh, solicit donations from other people in the town. They would often act as librarians. Um, some of the Shakespeare clubs would host the the town public library in their own homes or in like a, you know, store in the town. So um, a lot of these public libraries still exist, but the the nexus of them was the Shakespeare collection from these women who thought it was important not just to be self-educated, but for their communities to be educated as well. What a wonderful thing to discover. Yeah, it was really, I mean, it was, it was very, um, 
humbling to see the efforts of these women that had really been lost to history, you know, and had only recently been uncovered. And a lot of them kept their own minutes and their own records. So they felt that what they were doing was important. So they would have printed programs for each year of study that would list the plays that they studied and the topics that they talked about. Sometimes they would have elaborate minutes taken of each meeting. Um, most of them did not serve any kind of refreshments at the meeting because that would distract from the task at hand. <laughs> so, and they had to vote on things like, well, I remember one club talked about, should we serve lemonade instead of water? Would that be too much of an interference? <laughs> well, that's, that is really, really amazing. I have to find a copy of that book. Uh, it sounds, uh, like uh, just a, a great slice of uh, American culture that you've uh, just unearthed here. It was a lot of fun to research. I, another club, um, I remember, I think it was in Idaho, um, the women of the town asked the men if they could start a women's club, just a general women's club. And the answer was no, we don't want any kind of trouble that that might produce. Um, and then they asked, well, could it be a Shakespeare club? And the answer was yes, of course, you know, because it's Shakespeare. So the first right. thing that these ladies did in that town was close down the brothels. So, <laughs> and, and and what justification in Shakespeare did she? Well, right. She I don't think it's probably Henry the Fourth, right. part one or two. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for all of this information. It's been a delight talking to you today. Thanks, Larry. It's been a pleasure. Thank you.